Welcome, friends, to Liberation Lectionary, where we riff on the gospel and scripture readings, and we try to make some sense of it for our day and age, trying to find um, the, the call and of liberation in our day and time. I'm uh, Francisco Garcia, always coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, and with me is my Liberation Lectionary partner, El Travieso Gringo. <laughs> Jamie Edwards Acton, uh, Episcopal priest out here in Los Angeles. And uh, looking forward to getting into this one again. That's right. So we're still in the Gospel Mixing of Mark. It up again, Francisco. Yeah. The Gospel of Mark. Um, the, this is the sixth Sunday after uh, Pentecost. And so we are rolling through Mark. Jesus is doing his thing. And uh, G, uh, Jamie's going to take us through today's uh, passage. All right. This is Mark 6, 1 through 13. Jesus came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor except in their own hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. All right. You got any initial thoughts on this, Jamie? <clears throat> well, I've got all kinds of thoughts, Francisco. Um, I shouldn't ask you that question, though, because I think your, your answer will always <laughs> yeah, be that's yes. Right. That's right. <laughs> Take a little nap. I'll let you know what I've done. No. Um, I mean, I think it's just, uh, I guess just I'll, just to get the ball started, the first thing that stands out to me is, you know, how quickly things change, right, in this. So in literally in the first line of or second line of this passage, you know, it talks about him. He's come back to his hometown, the hometown kid. He's probably, you know, he's already up to chapter six. He's already healed he's already been teaching he's already you know calmed the waters he's you know there's a buzz about this guy right so there he's his reputation undoubtedly has preceded him shows up and he does uh you know what he had has always done right and what um many have always done is that they go and teach in the synagogue and really assuming the role of the rabbi there and many uh, and they were astounded, right? The, their first reaction is like, wow, it's, you know, all this stuff we're hearing, you know, on Facebook and Instagram about Jesus, it's true. 
He really has, you know, a way with words. He's really, you know, um, he is really kind of reshaping uh, God's narrative in, 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 you know, in amazing ways. And they say, where, you know, where does he get all this? Where does he get all this wisdom? How can it, how can it be? This is little Jeezy. <laughs> this is little, Remember little Jeezy <laughs> from right. down the street. Easy Jeezy, right. You know, it's like. Uh, <laughs> the uh, and, son, he's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, but it just like turns like, right. It's like where in, in those lines, they're saying, where did he get all this? They're astounded, but then they follow with these lines and it's already turning because now it turns to like, now they start to even throw out some insults, right. In, in like backhanded insults, right. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, right. Which, you know, Barbara Brown Taylor points out, she gets from other scholars that, you know, that's to make the point that he's Mary's son is to point out his illegitimacy, right? Mm-hmm. And so isn't, isn't this this bastard Jesus, right? And with all his other bastard kids there mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, or siblings there, and they took offense at him, right? Mm-hmm. So they go from being astounded in literally a couple lines to, to dog in him, right? To dissing him. And then, you know, then they're offended by- How dare he have knowledge. His language. Yeah, so. <laughs> so that's the first thing that stands out, mm-hmm. you know, w- with me is that, or for me, is that, um, you know, they're, on one hand, they're astounded, but it's clear that they think he's, he's running, he's running in an area that he doesn't belong. You know what I mean? Like he is, he's trying, he's putting his nose where it doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stick to hammer and nails and uh, don't, you know. Don't go preaching about God's kingdom, right? And stuff like that. Stick to what you know and stick to what you do. So yeah. keep staying in your place, basically, right? I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a, a refrain many oppressed people have heard uh, forever. You know, stay in your place. Don't, don't try to, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So. Think about what it and how, what that, how that translates to today, you know, like, how can, how can, you know, anybody from any kind of group, but we think about people who have like been in, in marginalized to greater, to a greater extent, uh, what, what can they say to us that is meaningful or, um, you know, that has any kind of substance, right? Right. And, you know, what, what does a farm worker that a migrant farm worker have to say about the nature of life, about what it means to be a good person? Right. or about what it means to, uh, um, you know, have significance in this world, right? And so there, there's this obviously tone of elitism that comes through um, in the passage, um, you know, and obviously like we talked about, like we've talked about in many um, uh, past, uh, you know, liberation lectionaries and, you know, last week's, we talked about the story of the two daughters and um, the, you know, God's preferential option you know, for the poor and the centering of the stories from the margins. Mm-hmm. And here we have another example of this, right? Of That's Jesus right. and his family sort of being a representation of, of um, a family or a community on the margins for all kinds of different reasons, you know, mm-hmm. um, him not being from the primary, you know, uh, center of religious and political power, um, you know, being from Galilee as opposed to Jerusalem. But then also being Mary's son, you know, coming from a from a 
a questionable background, right? Um, and so what can these peasants, you know, what can these people have to say to us? And so today it's the same thing, right? Uh, God changes the paradigm about where, um, where, uh, whose voice we should hear, where the story um, can actually have the greatest power, um, you know, and, um, you know, going back to the liberation tradition um, in, that in Latin America, that theologians and, and church leaders and, you know, bishops and that were trying to sort of recover the real meaning of the gospel, they gathered. And one of the more really important gatherings took place in Puebla. Mm -hmm. um, in, um, let's see, I think the first gathering was in Medellin, Colombia in the late 60s. And Puebla, I think, happened in the early 70s, 72 or 73, maybe. But there they spoke of this um, evangelizing potential of the poor. Right. And so think about it. So the preferential option for the poor is sort of about God's love and the call to sort of, you know, challenge systems of injustice. Right. But then it goes even further, you know, that the stories that come from these places actually have evangelizing power to actually share the good news, to show to us what, in fact, is good. Right. So. Right. Yeah, it makes me think of the gospel in Sol and Tanami, you know. Yeah. And with Cardenal, and you know, over those years, wrote those several, um, you know, books of the story, the retelling, right, of the gospel story through the eyes of the poor who lived in the, you know, the Galap in the islands arch archipelago of, you know, in the Lake uh, Nicaragua yep. there. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I really like this passage and I and. Um, you know, I, I can resonate a little bit, you know, with it. Too. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's definitely elements that I connect with. Uh, I didn't, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, I, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in um, a town that's much more conservative, very white and uh, in, you know, kind of. Um, you know, and I just grew up in a different family, right? That had different, that had actually, you know, at times, not just alternative, but contrasting values with kind of much of the general kind mm -hmm. of culture there. And uh, so particularly even in high school, you know, it was already kind of standing out like a sore thumb. But when I went to college and then would come back, definitely, you know, what I talked about, they were like, what the hell is he, what the hell are you talking about, you know? And, Who is this uh, coming, coming back? <laughs> that's... Yeah. And so, um, I mean, there was always an, a dimension of love there that kind of held mm -hmm. us in community. Um, but there was definitely, uh, you know, there was the, you know, who is this guy? Who does this guy think he is? Mm -hmm. You know, we know you, we know you, you know, we, we know where you mm -hmm. come from, right? Mm -hmm. We know your background and everything. So, um, yeah. And I think this also speaks to us in the, you know, as followers of Jesus and as the church and, from whatever you know direction we're coming from politically or you know theologically that it, it is a warning not to think we've got jesus pegged right and that mm -hmm. uh because of the demographics or because of the history or because of the geography or whatever right um mm -hmm. that it's that's part of the thrill of following jesus is mm -hmm. you can't you can't pin him down you can't uh, we can't put Jesus in a box as much as we want to try, no matter what direction you're coming from. Uh, I think that's harder news for more conservative the theology, you know, and politics. Uh, but um, I, I think we're all 
probably need to be aware of that. But um, that's right. You know, but I, I, yeah, I think so. I think that it's uh, an invitation to just imagine, you know, that there is no domesticating or taming or, you know, kind of um, putting Jesus in this box, containing him, you know. So. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to learn here um, in the way that we the way that we sort of do church and the way that we hear the gospel, the way that we break down the gospel. And I know, Jamie, that in your church, you do a very non-traditional sort of a, approach to the sermon time that I think that mm-hmm. your average Episcopal church doesn't, you know, so it's right. still um, kind of really based in this, um, you know, clericalism where it's like, you know, the, the sermon, unless it's preached by this, by one of us, right? right. Ordained clergy, then, you know, it's not heard. And so right. I think that this message here tells us that no, actually the word is to be shared equally among amongst all of us. And the more that we do that, right. the way that your church, I think it models um, this sort of reflection back and forth, um, you know, then we're stuck, you know, we're stuck in this, this sort of elitist way of doing things. It certainly is. Yeah, the conversation sermon is much more, it's certainly both more risky and rewarding at the same time, because, you know, you could think, you know, I could walk in and think I usually, you know, prime the pump at the beginning. uh, And I do, you know, get probably more airtime than everybody else. But um, I might think I have, you know, a couple brilliant points to make, you know, I often think that when I know, but but what comes from people you know, from the community and what they share from their experience or from from something else, it really does add layers of richness and just like, you know, just wonderful kind of uh, depth and, you know, diversity. And, uh, and you know, people see things in the readings that I, you know, it didn't even occur to me. Or we just play out, we build off each other's comments and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's, and it's kind of like what this is... Uh we're in the season after Pentecost, right? So we can backtrack to, you know, six Sundays, seven Sundays to the story of Pentecost. And right in that passage, they, um, in Acts, there's a citation from, I think it's Joel, right? From the, mm-hmm. from the Hebrew scriptures where it says that everyone shall prophesy, right? So right. it's kind of related to this, no prophet is at home in their own town, but on the flip side, the real gift of Pentecost is that the power to be prophetic, to live into the good news of this gospel, which is about liberation, actually belongs to everyone and everyone can share it. Young, old, rich, poor, you know, right. everything in between, um, immigrant, you know, non-immigrant, documented, undocumented, gay, you know, straight. Yeah. And everyone prophesies and we need to listen actually to the voice that is most different from us uh, yeah. because we may hear something way different than what we had heard. You make me think of something too, Francisco. And this will, this will be a shout out for all the Episcopal churches doing good work out there. Um, and um, but in those that work in Latinx uh, communities, like you and I do, Francisco, and you, I'm sure you've had this experience of um, it, you know a family coming to the Episcopal Church uh, for the first time, whether invited or thinking it's a Catholic church or or whatever. <laughs> thinking all churches are the same or, you know, coming to an Episcopal church uh, and after getting over those first few trying to figure out what the heck is Episcopal mean, 
uh, and sticking with it and realizing that there's so much um, liberation stuff here. You know what I mean? There's so much liberative uh, stuff that happens in the Episcopal Church in terms of raising up people, wanting to hear their voices, um, you know, appreciating whoever they are, whatever language they speak, whatever, whoever they love, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, it can be sometimes it's, you know, you have to work through that stuff. But, in the, yeah. but ultimately, people find it as, you know, wonderfully open and liberate, liberative and all that. And yet when they then go and try to share that with family and others, right, uh, back home or, you know, cousins or whatever, it's, you know, it's just uh, they're seen as like they belong to some kind of cult or something. Yeah. You know? um, and that's not always the story, but I've heard that story over and over in my, amongst my community. Um, so mm-hmm. um, I think they could probably relate, you know, their stories to this passage as well. So Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a lot to be said about the power that happens when the this the spirit of God is really allowed to be to be fully present the way I think it's intended to be, which is you know with everyone in everyone belonging to everyone in this sort of horizontal fashion. And I'm not saying we don't always get it right because you know obviously we just talked about in the Episcopal Church we have hierarchies and we have all these things, but. For those of us who are trying to do that work within this context and you know in other denominations too right. um it's it can be a real challenge but yes mad mad props to you for who are <laughs> out there doing the work that's right um i think the last thing i would say francisco is this just uh i love this last kind of section uh which you said in the roman catholic lectionary kind of splits this up yeah uh but in the second half of this reading you know about jesus sending them out two by two and then you, we start to realize that hospitality is really at the heart of the Jesus movement right here. And it depend, it's going to depend on it, right? It's, and it, it makes me think of like how revolutionary movements kind of start in, you know, kind of in really difficult times, right? I'm thinking, you know, of how movements uh, are go into villages and they, you know, they're trying to connect with the community and stuff. Um, by doing good works and how they depend on, you know, building um, kind of a good relationships, you know, um, uh, with the community. And, you know, sub-movements will end up, you know, use coercion and violence to, you know, do that. But, you know, the Jesus movement is, doesn't. And, um, but, they're, but, they're, but they, at the same time, there is, I feel like there's this building this movement, right? This subversive yeah. movement. And we're going to take, like, we're going to take the kingdom one house at a time. Right. And um, and 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 if, if people reject that message of of, you know, love and, and inclusion and, and just God's justice and that, you know, it's not it's it's not an opportunity for any kind of retaliation. It's simply you, you just express, you know, by kicking the dust off your feet. Right. You're going to um, that we weren't welcomed here. Right. Yeah. This message was not welcome here. Um but I, but I love this. I do love this image of how, you know, kind of movements or, you know, get started. And uh, I feel like that's what we're seeing here. Yeah, I think I, I think you're right, Jamie. And what, it, what comes up for me is, um, you know, there's this w- practice that is becoming more known in sort of co- in the community organizing and um, political sort of like electoral work as well. Um, a, a, a practice called um, deep canvassing. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have heard of it. 
and um, it's kind of what, what what comes up for me is that is that sort of this practice of deep canvassing, which is sort of you know in in contrast to say traditional canvassing. If you mm -hmm. if you've ever had if you've ever done door knocking, yeah, just knock on the door and for a campaign or something, right? right? But you don't get past the door typically. You're, yeah, you're just... or you knock on the door and it's like here's here's the information right. or here's the candidate or here's the proposition. Right. We need you to vote this way. Can we count on you? Right. But there. And usually it's kind of like, it's a qu very quick thing. It's usually pretty one-sided and you either get, you get your answer, yes, no, maybe, and you move on, right? Right. No, uh, not much transformation happening, but you know, you're getting sort of like the surface level work done. Deep canvassing sort of really takes uh, uh, into account, like, like how are we changing hearts and minds? Right. And, and it really applies to very polarizing issues. So it's been used in sort of like, how do we talk about, you know, the uh, trans rights, for instance, or, you know, and the, the bathroom issues, which becomes right. like a polarizing issue in the culture, right? Mm -hmm. Culture wars, um, but talk, humanize the situation right. and, and, and actually be willing to talk, have hard conversations and, and make it relatable and relational. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing around issues of immigration, um, you know, and so deep canvassing really tries to seek to hear the person's story like that you're talking to that might have misgivings um, about any given issue or situation. Right. Um, but seeks to connect with them at a human level. You know, you as the sort of canvasser or the organizer are really trying to sort of say, hey, here's my experience of this issue or, you know, hey, my my you know, this is my story or this is my friend's story or my neighbor's story. And this is why it matters to me. You know, and you might not get that transformation, but you're right. gonna you're gonna intend it, and then if you don't, you move on, right? right? Right. But it's about building the movement, building the movement rooted in relationship, in connection, in in and pushing the boundaries. And I think sort of that's what Jesus is calling us to, when he's gathering us and calling his disciples to go two by two, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. I love that comparison and um, kind of a modern day comparison of this and. I also I also like in in this passage, you know, that's the, like the time of stay, assuming things go well, is open ended here. right? Yeah. I mean, there is no like got to go. You know, it's like it's like something more than than just time or numbers mm -hmm. is the point going on here. And um, but it's that transformation you're talking about. Right. That yeah. uh, that humanization of one another, that real, you know, that realization of kind of a, a different kind of kingdom Jesus is talking about. I think that's what's happening in those households that welcome the disciples. So Yeah, and it has power. So if you think yeah. about it, it, for every nine doors that, you know, don't open, there's that one that does and the right. one that invites you in and the one where you stay a while, like, you know, and you build that relationship, you build that's that right. community. So that's I mean, if you think if you think about it, I mean that then that one of 10 houses, uh, not only have you built the relationship, but they most likely have already the relationships with those other nine houses. So, you, you know, they will be doing the work, right, uh, long after, you know, the disciples or the deep canvassers leave. They'll be doing the work in the neighborhood or at the, yeah. at the neighborhood barbecues and, you know, and talking across the fence or whatever. That's so, right. um, yeah, so I love that kind of. I love that movement building image, both here and the one you share. So right on, I think. Well, good. I I know, I never say this, but I think I'm 
exhausted all the ideas I have about this passage. So <laughs> how can that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. I think there's enough to go on here. Cool. Well, Francisco, why don't you take us out of here? I always enjoy this time and um, uh, just remind people that they can, uh, hopefully they'll like us and share us, uh, share this with friends. Yeah, we're on um, podcasts. So mm -hmm. check us out on Google Podcasts, on Apple and Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Um, give us a star, share a review um, and get the word out. Yeah. And leave us a, a question or some feedback on the Facebook, Instagram. We will respond. We are checking it out. So um, we'd love to engage. So, um, But until uh, next week, I hope everybody has a great week. And be cool in these Peace. hot times. Peace.